House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Okay, we are back in the House of Mystery. I guess we are. You are. We it's, are. It's David Nor'easter. <laughs> Nor'easter. Yeah, that's the new. What's, what's going on down there? You could, did you lose power? No, no, we didn't. But there was tons of snow. Well, but, but maybe not do. Canada snow, but no. it, was, <laughs> it was enough. Canada snow. Canada snow. We just take it adrift every once in a while. <laughs> don't, don't get too too frightened there. But you don't. You make your wife shovel, don't you? <laughs> no, no. That's my job. Well, we do have some people. You know, we live in a condo uh, complex uh, in a townhouse, and so we do have some people who do some shoveling and stuff like that and plowing. But I still have to shovel up my car. Oh, because we only have a one-car garage. So, you know. Yeah, tough. It's tough. No tough living. No mansion. You know. <laughs> no mansion. Well, don't tell anybody. Anyway, he's really, he really does. He's he's playing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Had to shove out the plane. Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> so okay. So before we get going, so Spotify. Um, so I joined Spotify just to delete it. <laughs> <laughs> So we were on Spotify, but I took us off, okay? Just so anybody's listening, we are not on Spotify. How's that? Not. I'm doing my part, okay? Okay. In support. Anyway. <laughs> uh, now, speaking of um, snow, okay, we've got um, a Canadian on today, an author. Uh, he's written tons of books. He's a uh, you know, big-time big time writer here. Um, so let's welcome Mr. Mark Leslie um, to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, uh, Neil Young, like you, um, not on Spotify anymore. Since speaking of Canadians, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I got, I got snow for you. Oh boy. Oh yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh. sure. Well, I've had, I've had very little, so uh, you know, I can't complain. It's been a mild year for me. Been cold a few times, but pretty mild. Um, not complaining. You know, that's that's up to Dave. He does all that. Yeah, complaining. I'll do the complaining for you. So what's been going on with Mark? What have you been doing? Have you been um, hiding out? Do you, do you like, write a lot of books all year or through the winter? Yeah, I, I write uh, all year round. Uh, well, I've been doing a lot more shoveling lately than I normally do. I do a lot <laughs> less shoveling in the in the summertime, but um, <laughs> shoveling and listening to audiobooks, uh, which, which is a great excuse. But, no, I've um, been working on uh, more on the Canadian Werewolf series. I just released uh, the latest in that series, and, and continuing to work, I've got, um, I think I have three or four books in the works right now that are going to be coming out in the next year. So, you know, just keeps me out of trouble, I guess, if I keep my uh, fingers on the keyboard. Well, it can. It depends on where, where you're on when you're in the Oh, that's true. Yeah, it depends on what, <laughs> what sites I'm browsing. Yeah, it depends what's, what's going on because that's, you know, I, you know, I, I've been staying out of trouble. I don't. I leave that up to Dave now. He's he's the guy that gets into trouble. Um, yeah, you know. Um, well, when you, when you're okay, so you got this is book four, isn't it, or something like that? Uh, yeah, it's the fourth uh, fourth book in the Canadian Werewolf series, uh, Fright Night's Big City. So I'm 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 pretty stoked about it. Now, so he is. This is based in where? New York. Yeah, it's uh, primarily set in New York City. This is um, a Canadian. Uh, mild-mannered, uh, weak pushover Canadian who happens to—he lives in you know one of the world's largest cities—and 
happens to be cursed with lycanthropy. So we describe him as a beta human but an alpha wolf. And uh, and he turns into a wolf for 10 days uh, every month during the cycle of the full moon. And he has no human consciousness control of it. But when he's human, he does have extra powers. He has extra sensory powers, uh, uh, smell, taste, um, hearing uh, that's really enhanced, and as well as uh, superhuman strength. So he uses these um, powers that he has to help other people while he's a human. But when he's a wolf... Um... So he fits right into America, then, if he's a wolf. <laughs> oh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Especially when he goes to the buffets. <laughs> so he just goes wild. It doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to be mild-mannered. He's not like a mild-mannered wolf. No, but he is, uh, I mean, he, what, he, what he does, because he's living in, in New York City, is he arranges to go and um, you know, get himself to Central Park, for example where he has a hidden change of clothes because he's tired of losing his clothes. Like, every time he changes into a wolf suit, he stashes them away somewhere in a hidden spot. Sometimes get picked up by, you know, homeless people and stuff like that who are looking for, you know, uh, clothing to wear, etc. But, um, yeah, he that's what he kind of does when he's um, uh, planning his changes. But sometimes he doesn't always uh, get there in time. Um, and he also has no memory for about 15 minutes prior to and after the change. So that's kind of a... Another little thing that happens to him to cause a little bit of um, frustration and, and hopefully humor that the reader tends to enjoy. Well, uh, what did you uh, draw upon to uh, make your werewolf uh, character um, unique? I drew from a, sort of a combination of factors. I drew from my love of the Spider-Man comics, so that's where he uses his powers uh, to help other people. He realizes that he's got this ability he should use them to help and then I've just drawn uh, on a whole plethora of werewolf lore. And uh, and I actually ended up finding it was, I think it's out of print, but I was able to find a used copy of um, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Werewolves, which is a really great guide to. He actually makes a joke about, yeah, there's no you know dummies for a werewolf a book. So I, I had to figure this out on my own, ironically, as I was writing that scene, I went, I wonder if there is a Dummies for Werewolves book. So I went and looked, and there wasn't, but there was a complete idiot's guide. And what I liked about that is it's a great overview of the different mythologies of werewolves from different societies, as well as in fiction, uh, et cetera. So I drew a, a lot upon some of those to just kind of come up with, well, what are the rules <laughs> in this in this magical world? What are the rules for how he changes and why he changes and, and he even meets other wolves including in this latest book where uh, the one wolf uh, he encounters and interacts with actually has human consciousness as a wolf and can control the change in, mm. in a in a better fashion so he's not bound to just oh no when the moon's out I turn so um, he realizes that even amongst werewolf people there are different uh, ways by which the the biological interaction happens with a different different human. He just isn't able to control it. So I, I noticed when you said you know hiding clothes and planning his um, his change. Does he does he he knows he's going to change and when he's going to change? Like he has it all kind of figured out. Well, in modern technology, thank goodness he has an app that tells him what the phase of the moon is going to be. He's, you know, so, I mean, he's been dealing with this for years before the first book happened. So, you know, he checks his app, and, and, and if, the, if the moon is 
more than 80% um, uh, full in a phase, he knows he's going to turn. And occasionally it doesn't work. Occasionally it's like 81% and he doesn't turn. Or occasionally it turns when it's like 78 or whatever. So typically he prepares for it anytime the, the moon is going to be 75% or higher. So he actually uh, plans these things out. So even when um, in the previous book, Fear and Longing in Los Angeles, when his agent is sending him to L.A., he's checking his app to go, okay, I leave for L.A. on this date and I come back this date. Oh, okay, I don't turn into a wolf anytime during that. <laughs> so he's constantly having to check his calendar, which I thought, you know, is a bit of humor in that, when you realize what are the repercussions? You know, the very first story I wrote with him, he wakes up naked in Battery Park with a bullet hole in his leg and a taste of human blood in his mouth, and he says, what the hell did I do last night? Like, what did I do this time? Yeah. And and part of the humor was he's completely naked. He's in Battery Park, way far away from Central Park where he started, where his clothes are, and he's got to figure out how he's going to get home. Uh, without anyone seeing him naked. So, you know, he's trying to find uh, whatever he can to wrap around himself. And uh, he ends up bartering with uh, some folks, uh, like a bag lady, trying to barter with her to get some clothes out of the out of the um, shopping cart that she has. And, and just, just some of those interactions, which have a bit of humor to them. Wow. So, um, but if I remember now, so he, he, he doesn't really want to keep living this lifestyle, does he? No. So he's... He, um, the only woman, uh, well, earlier on, the, the first woman he really truly fell in love with, he, he lied to her because how do you tell someone, hey, <laughs> I'm a wolf? <laughs> um, so he ends up uh, lying to her, and she thinks she's cheating on him, so they end up breaking up. Now, they end up becoming friends later on, but he realized that being having this being, you know, is, has been kind of mucking with his life, and he just wants to live a normal life. And so... He has just met somebody who also has supernatural powers, but her supernatural powers are um, they reduce his uh, senses. They reduce his ability to have extra human powers when he's with her. So she kind of nullifies those powers. So when he brings her back from Los Angeles uh, to New York, the idea is, oh, my God, I can actually live a normal life so long as we're together. Uh, and that's sort of the uh, how the how the novel opens. Of course, the, um, the neo Nazis they encountered uh, in L.A. Uh, decided to follow them back to New York and to turn New York back into Fear City. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what happened in the Fear City pamphlets that they passed out in the late 70s, uh, but it was kind of like that's when you know the the New York of um, Charles Bronson, Death Wish, kind oh, of yeah. that that yeah. kind of New York. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, these guys are, are trying to t- turn New York back into um, a fear city and instill hatred and fear. And, and it's almost like um, the purge meets <laughs> Death Wish oh, uh, when you go out at night. Well, thank God uh, there aren't any real neo-Nazis in America. Yeah, thank God, because it's all fictitious. There aren't, they aren't yeah. for real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah. <laughs> but, but I did the neo-Nazis in this are based on... Uh, I read this great book called Hitler's Monsters, and it was about uh, the actual. And werewolves were part of the mythology from um, from the the Nazi Germany, and they were experimenting with the occult to try to create super soldiers and uh, things like that. So I used a lot of historic details about what this uh, the Nazi uh, you know agenda was in terms of creating a superior race. And uh, and applied that with a whole combination of black magic and occult, and made some 
stuff up in order to create this mythology that's sort of based on some stuff that happened and uh, obviously extrapolated in a significant way. Wow. Um, so how do you fit into this? Uh, you know, writers always put themselves into these uh, books and characters and stuff. So what, what's your angle on this? Are you, who are you in this book? Are you Michael Andrews or are you? I th yeah. Yeah. I think I am in many ways, uh, with the exception that I probably wouldn't do, you know, one quarter of the, the brave things that he does. But looking at um, what would it be like to have this ability yeah, it comes from it. Michael Andrews is a writer. <laughs> so, like, I wonder where I got that idea oh. from. It was like, mm, it's a, no, it's a thing I, I know well. So it was kind of like, well, I don't have to research that so much. I know that. But I had to research some other things. And, you know, he lives at the Algonquin Hotel. Well, the Algonquin Hotel uh, wasn't the first place I stayed at in my first visit to New York, but it was one of the first places I fell in love with when I first went to New York. And when I found out that it had this literary history, I thought, well, hey, great, he's – He's now making it. He's now made it big. He can afford it, uh, and he's got the Barrymore suite, uh, you know. And he lives there at the Algonquin Hotel, and it's very convenient because he doesn't need to have a key or anything because the concierge knows him, right? Because he lives there. So when he when he shows up after a night of howling at the moon, doesn't have to have a key card on him. Uh, they'll just let him in because they they know him. So there, there's a there's a bunch of conveniences. Uh, living in a, in a place like that. Um, that, that of course required research because I've never lived at the Algonquin. I've only stayed there as a guest. Well, well I'm just wondering, has, uh, Michael or any of your characters any, ever done anything, uh, unexpected or surprising while, uh, you were writing them? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, Michael, uh, surprises me every once in a while. Um, but, um, some of the characters, uh, caught me off guard. So, for example, in in the in the novella Stowaway, which is sort of the second book in the series, he meets uh, a teenager who is on the run from a human predator, and Michael ends up helping her. They're on a train bound for Stowe, Vermont, which is where the title comes from, and uh, and she was meant to just be a temporary distraction to keep him, uh, you know, occupied uh, and kind of missing a stop on the train, that kind of thing, because he's trying to protect her. And the minute she opened her mouth and spoke to him, uh, I fell in love with this character. She was a really cool kid. She was uh, precocious and uh, intelligent and a huge, huge reader. And and suddenly she's like, oh, my God, Michael Andrews, I know you. I love your books. And And so suddenly... <laughs> They have this really cool dynamic conversation, and it's this back and forth between this. It's almost like a father-daughter kind of relationship, and then she ends up becoming a mentor to him just as much. And I, I just I fell in love with with uh, Bridget or Bridge uh, as, as he calls her, and I, I realized she wasn't just going to be one or two scenes. She was going to kind of take <laughs> over, uh, take over that entire. Uh, plot and and that that's happened. Uh, a few of the characters that I thought might be walk-ons ended up returning. Uh, Mac, Michael's agent, uh, Mac the Knife Halpin, <laughs> is uh, a crude, obnoxious kind of almost like a J. Jonah Jameson. If I'm going to go mm. back to the Star uh, Spider-Man uh, mythology, kind of like that crude, bossy character who is just um, absolutely mocks Michael at every every step of the way, makes fun of him, but it, and is gruff and he's a quite quite a jerk. But he never steers him wrong. Like he actually gets him all the good gigs. He's gotten him Hollywood deals. He's, he gets him into all kinds of things and he pushes him in a way that Michael's not comfortable with. But 
realizes it's actually better for him. And people love Mac. They love the scenes where Mac is just really crass and, um, and, and mocks Michael uh, in, in many ways. So I have a lot of fun writing Mac because I have no idea what's going to come out of his mouth until he says <laughs> it half the time. What people say about me. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, maybe, uh, maybe I'm in the book and I didn't know it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so this is, um, how long are you going to keep a series like this going? And do you, is this something you've kind of already plotted out? You kind of know where you want to go or is this totally per book as it happens? You know what? I, I kind of don't know. I have some sort of high level questions I've left unanswered that I need to answer in future books. But um, apart from, so um, Fright Night's Big City was the only book that I kind of knew what the ending was going to be in advance. And I kind of knew that as I was finishing Fright Night, uh, Fear and Longing in Los Angeles. But that's the only sort of story arc that I kind of knew the ending for. The rest of it, uh, I'm a discovery writer. I prefer that term. It sounds a lot more, sounds a lot more eloquent than, uh, you know, Certainly I, I write by the seat of my pants, right? <laughs> so. I'm going to copy that. <laughs> I'm a discovery writer. It's a lot. Yeah, look at that. But that is, um, I think I just, I like to put Michael in a situation and then just kind of set the wheels in motion and see what happens. And a couple things have come from that. Now, I am co-authoring the next novella in the series called Lover's Moon. And because Michael and Gail, his ex-girlfriend, because there's this sexual tension between them the whole time, uh, there's this kind of like this, uh, you know, attraction that kind of keeps people compelled, as you often see on, you know, popular uh, TV shows and sitcoms. I had a lot of readers who said, I'd love to, I'd love to see when they first met. What was, what was it like? How did they fall in love when they first met? What was that, that story? So I'm actually co-authoring that with a good friend of mine, uh, Julie Strauss, who is a romance writer and a brilliant romance writer. And we've been brainstorming, going back, you know, 10 years in time, to, to write the meat cute of when, uh, or meat cute, M-E-A-T, since it's a wolf um, story, but to write that story, Lover's Moon, and to give people a bit of a taste of what it was like when they were a couple, to satisfy those readers, because the tension of them not being a couple is a lot more interesting <laughs> for the ongoing series. And as I was brainstorming this with Julie, and we still haven't, uh, we haven't actually done more than write a little bit of the opening of that uh, story, Julie came up with some ideas about Gail's past that I hadn't even considered uh, that I think will come into play in the next, in the next book, which is tentatively, we're, I'm thinking about calling it uh, Hex in the City, um, and it, it's going to involve um, more witchcraft uh, and witches and stuff like that. So that should be an interesting one. But again, kind of playing that by ear, see where it takes me. Well, what is your process for uh, working with another writer? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I've done, I've co-authored uh, non-fiction books on the paranormal, like Haunted mm. Hospitals was the was one of the last ones that I did. Um, and, and it's different when you do non-fiction because you're doing research. So you divide and conquer and say, okay, I'll do this hospital in this city and you do this hospital or whatever in this other, and then we kind of bring them together. But with Julie, it's different because I started, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try to write the, 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 the story of them falling in love. And so I, I wrote the scene with Michael. And then in romance, you kind of, toggle between male perspective, female perspective, or love interest to love interest, whatever uh, you're writing. And, and the, the problem I had, because I'm, I'm so much in Michael's head, because he is you know, based a lot on, on me or an idealized version of me, I should say, 
But it was easy to get into Michael's head. When I started to write Gail's scene, I realized I had trouble finding faults with her. And characters have to have faults. Michael has a ton of faults because uh, I know all my faults. But, uh, well, not even all of them, I bet. I bet I don't know half of them. But one of the problems I had is Michael puts Gail on a pedestal and worships her. And so do I as a writer. I worship Gail so much. But Julie was able to get into her head and to come up with some stuff for, for Gail to make her a lot more compelling of a character, especially to see something from her point of view. So we're doing alternating scenes. We, we have to map out and plot, which is something I typically don't do when I write on my own. So because we're co-authoring and doing alternating chapters, we do have to map it out. We have to plot it out. And then we have to kind of, you know, play off of one another um, because I may have a piece of dialogue that's told from his perspective, but then you see in the next chapter the same, you know, crossover section of, of her perspective of the same conversation. So we'll have to do a lot of that collaboration along the way. Just tell her you're a discovery writer. Yeah, yeah, she knows that. <laughs> but she but she plans things. She's, you know, project manages things and does a really good job of keeping things organized. So we were just chatting this morning and we said, you know, uh, Julie, if you don't hate me by the end of this, if you're still my friend, <laughs> wow, <laughs> you're really powerful. When you're doing um, research for this, I'd imagine you kind of have to go into the neo-Nazi world mm-hmm. in order to get kind of how they would act or react or what they say and what they talk like and how they behave in their own areas or community. Um, how, how do you go about doing that? Um, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah, well, I read, uh, I read a lot of nonfiction uh, articles um, from scientific journals as well, even just, just uh, uh, why we hate and how we hate. And, uh, and, and obviously we've been a lot more of a divisive society in the last several years especially. Um, I, so I did a lot of research on, on that, even researching, well, what, what do, what do those people <laughs> who are, you know, white supremacists, what do they call this racial group and how do they refer to them? And that was hard. That was really difficult because I'm on sites, I'm looking up terms and I'm like, I, I'm, I've got to be, uh, and, and similarly, I was trying to figure out what the what the big nasty was that the bad guys were going to do. It's like, okay, are they going to bring down a building, kind of like 9-11 kind of stuff? Are they going to infect the water system? So I'm doing research on how to poison people in New York, how to bring down a massive skyscraper. If I'm on, not on some FBI or CIA watch list for all of the searches <laughs> I've done in the neo-Nazi white supremacist stuff I've been searching, uh, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Well, were you just in a truck going across Canada, or <laughs> just, no? I was not part of that <clears throat> freedom convoy. Sorry, I, <clears throat> sorry, I can't, I can't say it properly. Yeah, that's all right. You know, gee, um, uh, you know, no, because I find that's interesting. I, do, do you think it affects your mind? But when you start to find out what these people think like and and behave like, does that sort of yeah get into you a little? It's 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 tough, but I think one of the things you have to do is I haven't uh, in this series yet. I haven't gotten into the heads of the bad guys in in a deep in a deep fashion. I have to understand them, but I haven't spent a lot of time writing that out. So I have to understand what motivates them. I have to understand where they're going, but I haven't uh, I haven't had to kind of show the reader that because most of the most of the story is told through Michael's perspective so you're in his head that being said I am 
working on another backstory to one of the bad guys from one of the previous novels, and I'm writing it from his point of view. But you got to remember, when you when you think about villains, they don't see themselves as villains; they see themselves as the heroes. Therefore, their perspective is right. And so, mm-hmm. having to put yourself in someone else's shoes with the perspective that they are right and the things I, you know, may personally believe in are, are the wrong things. That's hard. And it's that, you know, whoever, whomever fights monsters, uh, quote from the mm. great philosopher, <laughs> it's almost like whoever writes about monsters, um, you know, be careful not to turn into one because you're just so ingrained in, in that, uh, in that way of thinking and in, in that world, just so you can under properly understand what's driving and what's motivating the bad guys. So, that is, that's tough. I, you know, you, you, you know, if I'm spending most of it spent alone, like doing this, and then my partner comes home and trying to have a conversation, and I'm still in this weird mind frame of where I've just <laughs> killed a bunch of people. Um, so that's kind of a, it, it, it's weird to come out of that. Uh, yeah, it always feels, um, it always feels weird, especially when you write dark things and people doing bad things to one another. I often, uh, I get kind of a little bit self-conscious of, of, of how people may uh, look at me. Of course, they, they don't have no idea what I just wrote until the book is published. Then they'll judge me, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, how do you deal with that, with the, with the darkness of the research, uh, the darkness of, of writing certain things? Do you need to uh, take a break, do anything to kind of like decompress or relax and recharge either in between chapters or in between books? I, uh, yeah, you know what, uh, for me, it's, um, uh, ear, music, musical earworms, dad jokes, Monty <laughs> Python references, stuff like that. Just pushing myself out there. And it, oftentimes it's through social media where I just want to make people laugh. I just want to make people smile. That recharges me and, and cleans or purifies the air for me, cleans the slate. Uh, we at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step-by-step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member-only content, and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Palette cleanser, if you will. That that helps. Um, I also think, yeah, there, there, there is, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a difficult... It's a difficult thing to get yourself out of, but I've gotten used to. Okay, uh, I, I need to, I need to inflict emotion, and that's what I'm doing in the storytelling. Right, something, something funny is going to happen, and, and there is humor. There's a lot of humor in the book for an obvious reason because I, I call it the whistling past the graveyard factor. So there's bad things happening. <laughs> there's bad people doing things to people, and the, and Michael himself, who you know, like me, is a big giant chicken. 
Um, how does he deal with the fact that he's he's terrified? He just doesn't know what to do next. He's not a hero. He just happens to have these powers. So a lot of his reaction is the, well, I guess I have no other choice but to laugh. Because if I don't laugh, maybe I'll go insane. Right. Um, you know, another key part of this, uh, you, you talk about him finding the perfect woman in this book uh, because she kind of neutralizes him, right? Right. Um, how do you write into it a, a relationship that's will come across as real, will feel real? Um, what do you draw on for that? Well, I'm lucky. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I've known some really amazing people. I've had friends who've shared uh, intimate tales uh, and stories about good and bad things about their relationships. And I've been able to draw uh, upon a comp- composite of different experiences I've had or experiences that have been shared with me. Uh, and so I'm, I was able to take, so for example, um, the character of, of Lex or uh, Alexandria. I've been able to take... I mean, she is a composite of probably at least a dozen different people uh, that I've known, uh, or even uh, multiple relationships I've had. Even even relationships where it hasn't been a uh, you know boyfriend girlfriend kind of relationship, because there's still elements of friendships you have with people that can be infused into a, a character. And so I, I find, yeah, I mean, I, I I get drawn inspiration from any anyone and everyone. And so I'm pretty lucky that way. Um, and, and, that, and that's a really fun thing to do, is to realize that this character isn't, like Michael Andrews is not me. There's a lot of things based on me, but there's other things in Michael that, um, I, you know, kind of got picked up over time. Um, there's, there's an exercise I learned from uh, Brooklyn writer uh, Dennis Hamill that says, go for a walk with your characters. Um, and Michael even references this in, in the book where you go for a walk, maybe it's a place you're familiar with, but pretend your character is walking beside you. What do they see? What do they comment on that would be different than what, the way you would see it? And that's a great way to understand the nuances and differences. So, for example, if Lex is walking on uh, one side of me and Gail, uh, you know, Michael's longtime friend and ex-girlfriend, is walking on the other, what does Lex see uh, that Gail doesn't see? What does Gail see that Lex doesn't see? What do they comment on? How do they react to seeing the exact same thing? And that helps me understand the nuances and difference in character. And it could be just as simple as how do they, maybe they agree on something, but how do they communicate that? What words do they use that are going to be different, even though they're on the same page, uh, for example? Well, so so when you're walking down there, do you pretend to be a werewolf too? And take off your clothes. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I bend between my legs, and I, and I have a good scratch and a lick, right? <laughs> and howl and all that stuff, and how many times howl, do you get arrested? Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, people, like, I get strange looks when I go for walks. I don't know why. <laughs> Hanging out in the park, well, <laughs> you never know. Um, exactly. So did you, do you kind of know what you want to do with Michael Andrews? over the whole series like do you do you kind of know where you want him to end up at the very end all, like now no i have no idea no idea but that's the joy i mean i want him to have adventures i think one so one of the biggest challenges i had so when i wrote a canadian werewolf in new york it was meant to be a standalone this is a day in the life of a guy who has living with this and it ends and it's kind of this open-ended ending he's like yay you know, we defeated the bad guy and, and everything's good, right? Um, and then I thought, okay, I, 
I wanted to return. I, I, I wanted to explore more of what he would do, but I didn't want it to become, and I call this the, um, the murder she wrote uh, uh, issue or problem. Where every week in this small town of 2,000 people, there's a different murder, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's impossible. Or even Marvel. I, I, I love Marvel comics, and I love the, the movies as well. But really, that many superheroes just running around New York all the time. So I wanted to not, uh, you know, there's years happen between adventures, because it's not like some superpower bad guy is going to show up all the time. So I, I had to, there's a conceit with that that bothers me in other things I've read. So I wanted to make it. No, this is a sort of normal world where some strange stuff happens. And so I had to deal with that. I wanted to have, that's one of the reasons I sent him to L.A. I'm like, well, can't have everything come to New York. He's got to go somewhere else. He's got to explore things. We still don't know where, what, who he descends from in terms of the werewolf line. So there's this whole thing to explore. We still don't know. There's a guy who keeps showing up and saving his ass. <laughs> regularly we don't know his backstory yet and so there's a lot of um stories like that that i want to explore but i yeah i i have no i have no idea what's going to happen to michael but i know that probably as, as time goes on he's going to learn more and more about his own uh background uh his own heritage you know his werewolf lineage let's say um because he was bit by a werewolf but he doesn't know who this werewolf is and has never encountered them again. So I've got to explore that, uh, I think, give him some sort of understanding of it. And then I've got to, I've got to realize that there's probably some longer-term thing for him. Uh, but I, I don't, honestly, I don't know. Each, each book is sort of like a discovery of, okay, what's, what's today's adventure? Well, how do you decide, you know, which characters or which stories can become a series as opposed to uh, just a standalone? I think it's related to, um, and, and this is, again, another conceit or another challenge, is, is, is if every single time the world's going to end unless you, you know, stop them from pushing this button, mm. that can only be interesting so many times in a row. What's the... There has to be something uniquely compelling about the, the bad thing that's going to happen or, or what does the main character have to overcome. So one of the problems you have when you write a series is characters need to change and grow. Right? That's, that's a story. Right? We want to see people grow. We want to see people change. We want to see what they've learned and what they've, what they've overcome. In a series, the overcoming is usually an external factor, and sometimes it's internal. So I, I have to kind of bridge the gap between Michael growing and learning in different ways uh, as each new book uh, unfolds, learning more about himself and growing as a character potentially. But then how is he going to overcome other things that um, he knows are problems, that he knows are, well, I, I really should be doing this or I really need to do that. So I think that's one of the challenges is um, – I I have a, a, a I have several other books I've written that are just standalones, and there is no book two yet. Uh, it, it seems to be it's interesting. Often it comes from readers who ask a question. Like even Michael Andrews was initially he was never named. It was a ten thousand word short story, and a good friend of mine read the story and he says, "Oh, this is great! What happens next?" And I said, "Nothing. The story's over." <laughs> and he kept bugging me, and I went, "Well, okay. I only did the first." hour of his morning or two hours of his morning, I guess I could see what happens the rest of his day. Uh, and that's kind of where that, uh, let that cat out of the bag, I guess. <laughs> it must be really hard for um, a modern day werewolf to groom. 
<laughs> oh, it, my God, it is it is so challenging. It really, really is. Well, I would think so, but, you know, who am I? Um, I, I noticed that you've also written, um, you were just in that Halloween harvest. What makes you decide to do something like that, like jump in with um, a group of other writers like that? So that was uh, a, a good friends of mine, uh, Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush, uh, who, who run a small publishing company. Uh, they were looking for someone to edit uh, a series, or they, they have a series of books, and they wanted to do some themes. So Chris was doing mystery and uh, Christmas stories, mystery, and she wanted to do something along the theme of Halloween. And she's like, well, Mark, of course, because Mark's the horror guy, right? He loves Halloween and so it was, it was a combination of they needed someone who was passionate about that topic, uh, and I looked at the project and loved working with them. So it was a combination of, okay, I get to work with Chris and Dean again as, as the series editors, and so I get to choose the stories, and I get to work with a group of – because the, the way these, these books are, uh, they're workshopped with about 60 to 75 uh, writers who can't get into the workshop unless they're at a certain level of, of writing. So I know that – even if I don't use one of their stories, I'm still going to love it. I'm still going to enjoy it. It's not that the story wasn't good. It's just that uh, I, I can only you know take 16 stories of the 80 stories that I've read. Uh, and they have to kind of work together. Uh, because when you, when you put a book together like that, an anthology, you're really, you're really just telling a story in a different way. Or you're putting together these pieces to tell a, a long-term narrative from all these different voices. And so... Um, there, there's ups and downs. There's different themes you want to make sure you explore across the spectrum. You know, I want something touching and, and warm. I want something chilling and scary. I want something intriguing and, and open-ended where you kind of question. Those are the kinds of things. Uh, it, I, I think of it as like, you know, painting a picture. But what I'm doing is instead of using colors that I'm picking, uh, you know, with a paintbrush, I'm taking the textures from, from this amazing writing that these other writers have put together. And it's hard. It's really it's soul crushing work because uh, you have to you have to say no to really really good stories because maybe it's too similar. Like you've got two really really great stories, and you're limited by word count because you have a budget of how much you're going to pay the, the the writers, or you can't have that. They're both set. For example, with this Halloween Harvest, I wanted to cover various rituals related to the the fall. And, and, and Halloween, so you had sort of like this Thanksgiving and harvest and uh, Halloween, of course, obviously. But there's so many other fall rituals as well. And so I wanted it to be peppered with a whole bunch of different and, and different cultures, too, how they uh, approach the same me methodology. So it's a wonderful experience, but, oh, my God, it's so emotionally exhausting. Yeah, I'd imagine. You know, and the other things, that uh, the couple of books that catch my eye that you've done is the of course, the macabre, um, Montreal, and haunted hospitals, and and I wonder when you're when you're writing books like that, um, how much the paranormal has influenced you, and and does in all of your books probably somewhat, even the werewolf books. So, what what's your experience with the paranormal to make you kind of go that way? Well, I've always been afraid of the monster under my bed. Um, I actually. Uh, we don't have an under the bed, thank God, uh, because the, no monsters can hide there. So that's good. That was on purpose. But uh, no, I am. I'm afraid of the dark. Uh, I actually believe in the boogeyman. So I'm scared of the things I can't see in the dark. And so a lot of my curiosity 
and uh, it, maybe it's therapy, but uh, but I am curious. I love to hear the stories. I love to wonder what what if because in a lot of cases it's we don't know. We we have no explanation, and that's what makes it intriguing. Now I do when I when I when I do share ghost stories and I do research. If I find as I'm doing the research that I can you know dis, disprove or discredit the 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 paranormal and go well no there's a there's a logical explanation and it can be explained by this i will share that with the reader because i think that's part of the fun of ghost stories part of the fun is is being able to figure out if we can you know see the the the, the trick like see what it is that made us believe something but it also is part of the fun is the not knowing is like well we can't explain it with this and we can't explain it by that we don't know what it is and that uh that is intriguing so a lot of times um, I'm constantly reading about this stuff anyway. So, you know, again, I just do a little bit more in-depth reading, and suddenly I've got research for uh, material for one of my nonfiction books, like, you know, Haunted Hospitals or Macabre Montreal. Or, in other cases, they become fodder for short stories or fodder for something that's going to happen in, you know, one of, my, one of my novels. Like, it could even just be a secondary background thing that, uh, you know, happens in the background to Michael. Because Gail, of course, Gail works, she runs an occult shop uh, in New York City. And so, you know, she's going to encounter all kinds of weird <laughs> weird things or weird people coming into her store. That could be something that ends up being a story that she shares. Did you used to go and check out haunted places yourself? I, uh, yeah, I've, I've been on tours and I've been with people who do that. Uh, I'm too scared to go and do it on my own. Um, again, because I am a big chicken. But, yeah, I've gone, and, and I love, when I travel to a city, uh, if I'm there for long enough to, you know, go and enjoy and do some sightseeing, I love to find uh, if they have local ghost walk tours, because what a great way to learn about uh, a local uh, area and the history, like going on a, a ghost walk. It's, it's a fun, uh, engaging way of meeting people and, and just learning a little bit about it. So, yeah, I really love, uh, when it, whenever I get a chance, if there's a tour especially of some haunted locale, I'm there. I'm in line. I'm signed up. I'm ready to go. Whether or not I end up writing about it, who cares? I enjoy the experience. And if I have material that I can use for a book, all the better. Yeah, but what are you scared of? What's a ghost going to do to you? No, that's the scary part. Right? No, but I, I think it's, it's <laughs> yeah. the unknown, right? It's the yeah. unknown that, that's kind of scary. Like I'm watching uh, – I think it's Archive 81 on Netflix right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's kind of like, it's the thing. It's like, what is it? How is how is he able to communicate with this woman who died 25 years ago? Um, you know, like, what what is that? We don't know yet. We don't understand the connections, and that's the intrigue right there. Um, so I, I think I love that sort of, uh, I, love, I love that chill I get where you wonder, well, is there someone standing behind me? <laughs> you know? Of course there is, right now. <laughs> 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 and they, and they, Thank God it's daylight when we're recording this. <laughs> well, that's what you think. It's not really daylight. <laughs> oh, so, so um, and what do you got planned next? What what comes out after this? Now that this is out, what what are you doing now? So uh, I've got Lovers Moon uh, that I'm working on. I've actually got a, a nonfiction book for authors called Accounting for Authors. I'm uh, that's scary. I'm working on that with a uh, with a CP, uh, not a CPA, an MBA. Uh, just to help uh, authors with the business of writing and publishing. But here's a project you might get a kick of because we started off chatting Canadian, mm. is I am putting together a book that's coming out around American Thanksgiving, and it's going to be called The Canadian Mounted. 
And I have to ask you, gentlemen, um, are you familiar with the movie Trains, Planes, and Automobiles? Yes. Yes. So the scene where Del Griffith, John Candy, is in the airport in New York when Neil Page first gets there and they first actually kind of see each other face-to-face, there's this paperback. It's a a, a, what we used to call in the book industry a one-hander, an erotic novel called (laughs) The Canadian Mounted that John Candy is holding in front of his face. Now, it's obviously the prop people were having fun because John Candy was a Canadian actor. And I thought that was cute because I always pay attention to books, and I realized that it's a prop book. It doesn't exist. In Deadpool 2, Ryan Reynolds, Canadian and also a huge John Candy fan, in the movie Deadpool 2, uh, there's a joke where he's like, oh, I'm going to be in the bathroom, and you know what he's going to be doing in the bathroom. And he has a <laughs> copy of the Canadian Mounted in his hand. It's a, it's a mocked-up version of it. So I couldn't let this go. And I've been thinking about this for years. So I was going to do an anthology called The Canadian Mounted and ask Canadians to write a story called The Canadian Mounted, but it could not be erotica. And I was going to collect them all and put them in a book. And at the end of the book, I was going to have a trivia bit that explains that it's based on this book that I saw in a movie, and I'm a huge fan, and here's some trivia about planes, trains, and automobiles. I started working on the trivia, and I got so much information and so many cool stories about this movie that I abandoned the anthology, and I've just got it, and it's up for pre-order now. It's called The Canadian Mounted. I had my cover designer design it to look just like the one that John Candy's <laughs> holding, and it's going to be a trivia guide to to the movie. So that that's a that's a project I'm really excited about because of the cheeky sort of the, 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 the wink-wink, nudge-nudge uh, factor of this one. Yeah, yeah. It looks like you've got a picture of Dave on the cover. It's <laughs> me. <laughs> Just gonna say, you know. That's... Yeah, I know. Well, in, in that blue bikini, right? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah. he's. Yeah. You figured it out. I was the model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, I don't. I, I, I thought. I thought. I thought you looked familiar. Yeah. yeah. Nobody yeah. Uh, with the wig, of course. But you know. Yeah. yeah def- definitely, no one has a, you know, those big of uh, boobs as him, right? So, <laughs> He loves his apple crisp. Oh, I'm terrible. Um, now, let's talk about where people can find you. Um, where, where, how do you like to interact with people on social media or on website? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all, all the usual places. Um, but you can find out um, anything you want to know about me and things you don't want to know about me over at marklesley.ca. Well, that's, that's you doing the TikTok thing. Yeah, I'm having fun with it. TikTok, I, I do a morning uh, shtick, uh, hashtag morning coffee reflections, and I sit there at my desk with a coffee, different coffee mug usually, or because I've got like 30 of them, and I and I share a really brief, either a 10-second, 30-second, real groaner of a dad joke. Uh, and, and instead of the mic drop, I take a sip of my coffee. Like, I lift the coffee. That's how you know that the punchlines come. So I deliver it, and then I smile and take a drink of my coffee. Oh. And that's been that's been a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, tens of people uh, around the world enjoy this every day. Yeah. Well, what do you what do you think of the new social media thing and how it's going? Like with TikTok and Snapchat and all these other things going on. Are you a fan of it, or is it just? Yeah, I'm a fan because for me, uh, I've always been a storyteller. Uh, most of my stories come out in, in in written form, come out in stories and articles and books. But between the highs of, of releasing a new book or releasing a new product, I can spend two minutes and record a short video and post it. And, and I'm entertaining people. 
I'm, I'm basically causing an emotional reaction. Typically on social media, it's humor and, and I'm doing something silly or goofy and I'm trying to just put a smile on someone's day. And to be quite honest, as a storyteller, that's all I need. I just need to have made a, a difference, given someone something to mostly on, on those social media, mostly it's to smile or laugh, or maybe it's to be inspired in some, in some cases. But for me, it's more of a, it's just part of being part of the community and, and sharing. And, and again, it's not like that I have hundreds of thousands of followers or anything like that, but I really enjoy the engagement. And when I, when somebody actually puts the face slap emoji up as a response, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the response I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. I, I try to do a lot of humor on mine. I think that it's good to try and pe- make people laugh, especially with the world today, you know, way everything mm-hmm. going. Do you, do, so when you're, when you're sitting down to write these books, is, is that kind of the outcome, even in the werewolf books? Is it, it what, what's, what do you hope people get out of your books? Well, I mean, uh, entertainment, uh, obviously, that it, 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 it helps them pass six to eight hours of, of pleasure and enjoyment, that maybe it made the, makes them think. Maybe it inspires them. Maybe it makes them laugh. Maybe it scares them a little bit. Maybe it entertains them. I do want them to I, – I don't want them to put them down and go, ah, oh, okay. I want them to put the book down and, and go, wow, and have a character or something that happened in the book stick with them. Uh, and this happened to me once. Uh, a friend of mine – we weren't even friends, but uh, it was a story I submitted to an anthology to Kevin J. Anderson, and he had rejected the story – Eight years later, we're sitting down having a beer, and he mentions, he goes, you know that short story I rejected? He goes, I almost bought it for the anthology, and I remembered this about the story. So eight years later, he remembered one small thing about a story wow. he didn't even buy. If somebody can read something of mine and something sticks with them, that it makes an impression, uh, I've, I think I've done something successful, at least for that one reader. And is that kind of what you're looking forward to? Is that what you want to get out of writing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I need to write for. I do have to to write these stories, but ideally, you know, hopefully it it helps someone. It maybe it takes them away. Maybe the story, the fictional story of a werewolf or whatever, takes them away uh, from something that's bothering them, and they just need an escape. Or maybe it just entertains them or inspires them. Maybe it inspires them to write something. Um, any of those things. I just want to put something out there that people are going to actually you know, get some sort of benefit from or some sort of emotional reaction. That's kind of what I'm looking for. And, and the publishing world, do you like the direction it's going in? Well, I think, I think publishing, I, I like to say, is, is, is more collaborative than it's ever been before. And, and publishing is expanding. And, and maybe traditional publishers may not necessarily be doing all these things, but indie authors are definitely taking advantage. One example, you know, I sell rights to a publisher. I self-publish as well. But I even have a book that I've sold the rights to to a publisher. I've leveraged the same material that created the book from to uh, use a GPS-enabled uh, uh, map, a voice map, um, and, and uh, do a virtual walking tour, GPS walking tour of haunted downtown locations in Hamilton, meaning that I can leverage it. People can enjoy that as a book. They can enjoy it as an interactive experience on an app on their phone. Um, or potentially they see a talk that I do or a, a TikTok where, and, and sometimes, you know, especially around Halloween, I love to, I've been on sites where I've done live YouTube recordings. Hey, I'm at this haunted hospital that I mentioned in the book. Let me tell you a story about this, or let me tell you a story about this haunted bar. 
that's all part of it. I think that's all part of um, the, the fun and excitement I get from that sort of engagement. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I guess you'll probably, are, are you starting to get out more and do more? Are you planning on doing any book signings or is that sort of still off the table right now? Well, here in Ontario, uh, not a lot of in-person events, but I am, uh, you know, in next week or probably the week that this comes out, I'm going to be in Colorado Springs at Superstars Writing Seminars, which is a bunch of professional writers uh, sharing uh, sharing uh, the business of writing and publishing. Now, one of my favorite things I'm going to be doing is, so Jonathan Mayberry, who's an amazing mm. author, the Joe Ledger series and horror novels he's written, uh, Jonathan and I are hosting a, a sort of a, a night of ghost stories where we're just going to be sitting around drinking cocktails in the lobby. And it's just going to be informal and people can just come and I'm going to sort of be interviewing him. But we're going to be sharing some really fun, true and fictional ghost stories just to, to hang out. So, yeah, that, that I'm, I'm looking forward to that because it's been a while since I've been able to hang out with other writers in person. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a strange time for sure, right? It makes things a little bit more difficult at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well... It's always interesting talking to you. Um, time is up. So um, now the book we're talking about today is Fright Nights, Big City, Canadian Werewolf Book 4. And the author was our guest, Mark Leslie. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much. Always great to chat with you guys. Thanks, Mark. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.